We're in Romans chapter 3, down to verse 10. But in review, Paul has reminded us, we all, whether we were Jews or Gentiles, are under the sentence of sin. We're all guilty, is what he reminds us of. And so, in verse 9, the previous verse, he says, well, what then? Are we, he's talking about the Jews that had the covenant, are we better than the Gentiles? And he said, not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks, he means Gentiles here, the Greeks were the most intelligent, that's why they used them a lot. He said, both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. And now as he begins several verses, he's going to be quoting Psalms and Isaiah, what God has to say through the prophets. So in verse 10 and 11, he said, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not even one. Now, people need to remember that. There is none who understands, okay? Means he has spiritual understanding, they don't have it. There is none who seeks for God. They're not after God. Remember Jesus said it as a whole, men love darkness rather than light, and they will not come to the truth lest they be reproved. But see, we forget. That's not a fixed thing. That's not predestined like a lot of people have you believe. They can come. He's given them enough light under various covenants that they can do certain things, and he expects them to do it. As we talked about before, he reproved Cain because Cain was bitter and resentful and envious of his brother. And the Lord communicated with him. And we don't know how, but he spoke to Cain. and. He said, why are you displeased? Why are you angry? He said, if you do well, he said, you'll be accepted. And if you don't, you will not be. Well, people argue over whether it was because he didn't sacrifice the blood. It didn't matter. He could have traded it, and he could have asked his brother for a sacrifice. And that would have been fine. But God didn't say that. He didn't say you sacrificed wrong. He said, you weren't living right. See? And he says, and that means, and he used the term as an animal, he said, sin is crouching at your door. And he said, and you must resist it. You must overcome it. So God wouldn't have told Cain that if he couldn't do it. So he was saying, even under that covenant, man had certain responsibilities and ability, and God saw to it. And so he could have obeyed. He was born into sin. He had problems, but God set the standards. And he said, uh-uh, you subdue it. Well, Cain didn't. He kept entertaining a thought. He murdered his brother out of jealousy, out of hatred. And God confronted him. And he said, you're wicked. He implies, I warned you, I told you. And what was that crouching animal? It was the devil. And Jesus said, and Satan was a murderer from the beginning. That's what he's referring to. From the beginning of humanity, he enticed Cain to murder his brother. So that's what Jesus meant when he said he was a murderer from the beginning. And then he looked at the Pharisees, and he says, and he's your father, because you seek to murder me. Uh, so he, he was very plain with them. Jews didn't like that. So he exposed their hypocrisy. So we see then that God said, as a whole, 
mankind has sinned, man has failed, that's not righteous. And a lot of people use that excuse, well, then it don't matter if we sin and we can't do this, we can't, we're totally depraved. No, they're, they're under a lying spirit because God never says that. Under every covenant, God expects certain obedience and he don't expect it if it cannot be given. And under the law, he said, this is the rules. You break that, you pay the price, you sacrificed, you do what's necessary. If you commit certain sins, I'll have you put to death. I won't forgive you. He was strict with them with certain sin. And they were able to comply or not comply. He didn't excuse sin. He told them, he gave them the law. He expected them to keep it. And one time he spoke to the whole nation audibly, scared them. He spoke to them from the mount during Moses' time. The people got so scared. They told Moses, tell God, don't, don't talk to us. He talked to you. He, he scares us. That's what they said. And God told Moses, you tell them. I purposely scared them. He said, I wanted them to fear setting against me because there are going to be consequences. So he purposely scared them. He told them the truth. You don't obey me, I'll curse you. He didn't mince no words with them. And he always put the responsibility on them. You don't find in the scripture, God rarely insinuating it's the devil's fault. Oh, well, the devil just does what he's meant to do. And by his fallen nature, he's going to do it anyway. But man can make choices and he doesn't have to do certain things. So sinner cannot excuse himself. I've heard people say, oh, well, we're born in sin and we have to sin. I said, then you're of the devil. Because Jesus didn't say that. Paul said, Overcome sin. He says, you're not in power of sin if you're in Christ Jesus. He gives you power to resist it and to overcome it. So you don't blame just your fallen nature. See, some people do that. But it has some abilities. And God knows this. He knows where man is. And he sets certain rules even in man's fallen state. But he also, if you study all the covenants. He shows mercy. He's long-suffering. He doesn't tell them, oh, you're going to sin anyway, and you're a dirty old filthy sinner. You don't hear God talking that way. He always tells them, you repent, you do right, and I'll bless you. If you don't, then I'll curse you. He just made it very plain to them. But see, they started believing lies and getting into idolatry, and so the demons lied to them. They always deceive people. That's why people become deceived and hardened. That's why you have people professing to be Christians. They talk about God like he's Santa Claus. And no matter what you do, he forgives. See, that demon has blinded them to what holiness is and justice. If they keep from the masses that they're going to be in eternal punishment in hell, like a fire. They don't talk much about that. But you read the Bible, that's where they're going to end up, most of them. And not because God desires to throw them there. The Bible says he made hell for the devil and his angels. That was the purpose. It wasn't really for man, but when man started rebelling. I think there's a scripture somewhere, or it's implied that God enlarged hell to put him in it. So that was not his original intent. But if you're going to act like the devil and live like the devil, then God will have a place for you. God has some strong words toward Israel, which was the favored people at that time. And it said in the word, it said, 
God's going to turn into hell all the nations that forget him. See, we have our duty to God. We have allegiance that we owe him. He's the creator. And people don't understand it, but he said, I'm a jealous God. He will have us worshiping idols or creation or honoring things more than him. He won't put up with it. See, he don't have, have to put up with it. And he lets people know what he thinks until they give it over to deception. So he quotes in verse 11, 10, 11, he's quoting Psalms that none is righteous. Now he says this so we'll understand, not even one. Now why is that so? Because on the surface, all man since the fall of Adam and Eve, they're born with a sinful nature. They're magnetically drawn, but they're still held responsible. And in many cases, if you study, God doesn't come against them for that. He comes against them for willful sin. See, so he's tolerant and long-suffering, and he knows, as the scripture says, God knows that man is but dust. He knows what he's like, but he makes allowances. People think that the God of the Old Testament was different. Uh-uh, he was very patient very gracious. He dealt with them at a different level, and he held them accountable at a different level. And that's why when Jesus came preaching to the towns and cities and the ones that rejected him, he told them. He said, Sodom and Gomorrah, Nineveh. He said, all those people, they could do better at the judgment day than you will. See, because they didn't have the truth, the light, and the extra grace that God gave through Jesus Christ. He said, they'll stand up in judgment and condemn you. He said, none of them repented. And he was implying you didn't repent. And here you had the Son of God before you. How do you think you're going to fare at judgment day? You see, people understand God is just. He's holy. And he can extend grace or withhold it from certain people for various reasons. But when he extends grace... And it's not responded to. That person will give an account and be punished more severely at the time of judgment. See, that's justice. He'll say, I'll be gracious to whom I will. But if I be gracious and you respise it and you walk over my son, he says, you'll get a greater punishment. The person didn't even never knew the Lord. So he, he'll make it plain to people that that's how he deals. He's fair in all of his dealings. We got to remember that. See, that God is just even with the wicked nations. He doesn't arbitrarily just punish them. And well, I was said before when Joshua wiped out about 70 various tribes, and God told him to. They were wicked. He said, The land despised them. And God said, You remove them. And you take those areas. And they went to one area, they were going to destroy this tribe, and God sent a message. He told Joshua, you leave those people alone. And they were wicked people. He said, you leave those people alone. Their iniquity is not full. So it shows you that God wouldn't just do it. He's keeping records. And when a certain nation gets to a certain point, he doesn't like the wickedness, then he punishes it. And he said that tribal people hadn't got there yet. So you see that God was being gracious and fair and just in his dealings. Okay. So we have the inherited fallen nature. 
But then the main attraction, the main thing that provokes God more is the willful sinning against God. See, because he knows, oh, they may have a drawing toward this. They may have an inclination, a predilection for various things. But he knows they don't have to do it. See, a man under the old covenant, he could control all of his thoughts, his evil thoughts, and God knew he couldn't. So he said, well, you keep that within yourself. As long as you might hate your neighbor and you might want to have an affair with your neighbor's wife, he said, but you keep that in your heart because once you manifest it, I'm going to judge it. And so they confined themselves and they still had the wicked nature and the inclinations. And we find that God don't put up with that in the Christians because they're given the spirit to help them. Those people on the old covenant, they were walking at a, I'd say a lower level and that's how God was dealing with them. And that's why Jesus said to the Pharisees and some of the towns he went to, he said, Sodom and Gomorrah. And see, that's always used as an example of extreme wickedness. He said, Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, they'll fare better. He said, he said, if I went to them and gave them the same message and I went in person and preached, he said, Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented. And isn't that astounding? He didn't say they might. He said they would have. But see, God chose not at that time to show and extend grace. He didn't have to. He didn't owe them nothing. He judged them according to the standards of that time. But it's interesting, he said, they would have repented if I went to them and not some prophet or somebody else. And so he was letting the Pharisees in those towns know, your judgments could be a lot greater than Sodom. You think Sodom and Gomorrah is so bad, but as far as I'm concerned, you're worse than they are. And that's how he, and see, so that's how Jesus looked at him. No wonder the Jewish leaders hated him. <laughs> he considered them worse than the Sodomites. So we've inherited a fallen nature, a predilection, we say, a drawing, but it's when it's exposed outwardly that God holds man responsible. He tells him, you keep it within you. And if you find it coming up, you go and you sacrifice and you pray. He said, but you don't manifest it. So you could have murder in your heart. You could hate your neighbor to a degree. And God sort of winked at it. He said, well, I won't judge him until he manifests it. But boy, if you manifested it, they dragged you away from God's mercy, his altar. They wouldn't offer you nothing. They stoned you to death. Certain sins God just did not put up with. So if you had them, you kept them in your heart. You did not manifest them. So not one human being since the fall of Adam and Eve, except Christ himself, can say, I never sinned. Even Solomon. And he ended up an idolatra, a wicked man, a wicked king. God didn't have nothing good to say about him. He started off good, but he said when he was praying and dedicating the temple, and you'll forgive us if we come here and pray, for there's no man that has not sinned. So Solomon said that when he was in his youth and when he was following the Lord. He didn't listen to his own advice. Scripture says, and his wives. He had 900 wives and 300 concubines. 
You wonder if he ever saw one of them more than twice. And the Bible says, makes it, it says, and his wives in his older age turned his heart away from the Lord unto idols. The people try to say, oh, well, he got saved. No, he didn't get saved. They'll quote that scripture in Ecclesiastes at the end. It says, now hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. And they say, well, that proves, it'll prove nothing. He didn't do it. He had the wisdom. When he was in all of his sins, he says in Proverbs, my wisdom stayed with me. God didn't take it away. But he did not obey the wisdom. So he died an idolatry, serving his wives who served other gods. It's even believed that he let some of his wives offer up his sons as burnt offerings. And people will say he's saved. They don't know much about God's justice and holiness. God warned him, he said, twice in dreams. He told him certain things. Solomon only lived to be about 60. He was reigning for almost 40 years when he was young. Cut his life short. He was actually, he was a fornicator. It was a low life, we could say. But he started off good. Well, see, that's what happens. You give yourself over to sins. They take hold of you and they bind you. And that's why Solomon's punishment was so great. Because the devil, when he sinned, God said his wisdom was corrupted. His whole thinking and everything was altered when God removed himself. But when Solomon said he knew just what was going on, he knew the rules, he wasn't deceived about it. And that's why his punishment is going to be so great when he's called into judgment. So we have not one person but Christ since Adam and Eve that's never sinned, okay? Now we look at verse 12. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. That means spiritually to God. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Isn't that a sound state? So God's evaluating the whole human race. But he's not judging them at that time. He's not saying you're hopeless, you're depraved. He's just making a statement that you have the power of sin over you, and that's why you do sacrifice. That's why you obey the law. That's why you have priests. And all of that points to Christ eventually taking care of it. But he lets them know, if you're a sinner, you can't redeem yourself. You have nothing to offer God, a sinner. And as he said, we'll see a evil tree cannot bring forth good fruit. It might want to, but it can't do it. So in verse 12, like we just said, all have turned aside. All have fallen from God's standard of holiness. Like Adam and Eve, they were in a state of holiness. There was no sin in them. They were pure before God. And then all of a sudden, they disobeyed, opened themselves up to the devil. So all have fallen from holiness by nature and by practice. As Jesus said, an evil tree cannot produce good fruit. So only by one level of God's grace and help can man be helped or do good. So he's saying, I'm just trying to reveal to you. See, the Pharisees didn't see it. They were self-righteous. 
many people, well, they think today you listen to people. They'll think, well, I do a lot of good, and I do this and that, and I hope it measures against my evil. No, it won't, because God doesn't work that way. He said, you can do everything in the whole world, but if your sin remains, and your sin's not been forgiven, it's useless, God don't care for it. Proverbs says the sacrifices of the wicked are detestable to God. Actually, he'll judge them more for insulting him. He says, you do not take offerings from a prostitute. You don't take offerings from a thief. God says, you dare not bring that before me. See, now they were warned. You'll add sin to sin if you do it, but don't you think you can buy God off? It's not going to happen. So everyone has fallen. And then verses 13 through 18 is a continuation mainly of the Psalms and a couple of from Isaiah. And what do they tell us here? There's none righteous, not even one. No one understands spiritual things. See, he's been deluded. He's been deceived. The spirit sought to lie to him. He can't think spiritually straight. See, he's deceived. The God of this world has blinded him, so he cannot see. And as he goes deeper and deeper into sin, the blindness gets darker and darker. Okay, And he says, no one seeks after God. Well, that's true. Since the fall of and man's willful sin against God, no one's seeking God unless God helps them. See, before the fall, they sought God. Adam and Eve, they met with God in the cool of the day, and he talked and communicated with them. But after they were expelled, they were afraid of God. They didn't want to meet him, see, because sin was in them and told their conscience something's wrong. You can't communicate with this holy God because you're wicked. So he lets them know this, okay? So as we read the evil of mankind through verses 13 through 18, Mankind is pictured, his sinful leanings and works. It ends with no fear of God. See, his conscience is hardened. In the beginning, when man fell and he sins, he feared God. Adam and Eve hid from God. And God said, why did you hide? What you doing? They said, well, we were afraid. And he said, well, why were you afraid? Did you do what I told you not to? And they said, yes. And their conscience told them. To be afraid. See, they instinctively knew that once they sinned, they had the knowledge of good and evil. And part of that knowledge was you've sinned and God has to punish. He's holy and just, but he's not going to wink at this. So they were afraid of him. Okay. So it starts off with man. He'll be afraid. And when he sins, sometimes, as the scripture says, the wicked flee when no man pursues. They think somebody's after them, see, because their conscience bothers and disturbs them. And they drink and drug and they try everything to block it out. They don't usually work. And then as they keep doing this, they progress in their depravity and their hardness. The earlier chapter of Romans told us, he said, your stubbornness and willfulness is hardening you further. He said, you don't understand. God's being patient and giving you time to repent, and you just sent him more. So he's warning them. And so as he progresses in his hardness, 
he gets to a place where he has no fear of God. See, his conscience becomes seared. In a sense, he, he's like a psychopath. He can sin with no conscience. Don't bother him. He becomes another creature because he's so influenced by evil and his nature becomes so hardened and gets closer and closer to what the devils are like, okay? So these quotes are mainly from Psalm. It shows the beginning and the end of the sinful nature. So the advanced sinner is hardened. His conscience can be seared. That means uh, callous. You wear, when you wear shoes and you want to keep them, and yet you have a couple of blisters, you know, eventually they'll go away, and you'll get a callus, and that shoe don't bother you anymore. See that? So that's what happens to the conscience. It's the inner law that God's given everybody. Even those who've had not the law of Moses, they're going to be judged by that one day. How they responded with the light, the truth they had. So they become past feeling. They don't understand God's displeasure at their life. They get immune to it. They don't understand. Oh, I've heard people say, oh, for God so loved the world. God's not angry with us no more. Jesus didn't say that. He said God sent his only begotten son. And then he doesn't stop there. See, everybody stops there. The heretic stops there. See, they just want to present this good side of God. Uh-huh. You read a few more verses. And he that does not believe in the Son, and the word means not only to believe mentally, but to believe, to obey in Christ. He says, and he that believes not in the Son is under the wrath of God. The wrath of God continues on him. What does that mean? It means God's anger and displeasure at his life and at him. Oh, God loves the sinner, but uh, see, people pervert that. Oh, scripture always say that. You read Psalms. The destroyer and the murderer, God says, I hate their soul. See? They get to the depths, and finally God says, ah. Five times you read scripture. Four times, I think, he says. He laughs. He mocks the wicked and says, I'll see him. And when he, he's in his fear and terror and ready to die, I'll mock him. Does that sound like God's not pleased with him and he's just going to wink at him? Uh-uh. See, there's different levels. And you proceed to provoke God. And these people think, oh, he's not mad no more because I, I feel okay. I had someone tell me when I was counseling, they were in adultery. Well, it can't be wrong because it feels so good. I laughed. I said, yeah. You're going to feel so good when you're in the lake of fire screaming for eternity. Sins and pleasures for a season. Yeah, they're enjoyable. Scripture says they're pleasant. Don't let people tell you. I've heard people, I call them a hypocrite. I told them to face their hypocrite. Oh, I don't desire anything wicked and everything. You know, I said, you're a liar. You have a, a nature that can be enticed and tempted, and you have to overcome. And if you don't, you've already been deceived. You think you're holier than Jesus was. They get a little provoked at that. I said, don't kid yourself. Paul said, take heed when you think you stand. When you think you're so spiritual. He said, take heed. He means take warning, lest you fall. See, because the person that thinks he's too spiritual, he's got pride. And a fall always comes from pride. 
Why? Because God resists the proud and he'll give grace to the humble. So you start being proud and willful. Scripture says God will start resisting you. You don't like it. You claim all the Christianity you want won't do you a bit of good. Okay? So it's mainly quoted from the Psalms, shows the various beginning and ends of the human nature and what sin does and what the sinner is. He's hardened. His conscience is seared. He doesn't realize that God's anger and wrath stays on him. It isn't changed. We'll see later, Paul says, flee. When Jesus comes, he said, for the righteous, he says, to deliver us from the wrath of God. Oh, people don't want to talk about it. I say, need to talk about it because the majority of people are going to the lake of fire and they can be tormented day and night forever and ever. I think occasionally people would be told that. Even Christians that live right, Paul warned them. Scripture warns them. He, they know, God knows the human nature. He knows how man can be led astray. Hebrews says, lay aside the sin that does so easily beset us. He's saying what? It's easy if you start entertaining certain things to fall into sin. Very easy, he's saying. You guard that. You keep that in its place. Okay. Now, the thing is that people don't understand because the deception and the devil's blinded them to the truth. They don't think God's sort of angry at them anymore or he sort of forgets about what they're doing and they live their own life and do as they please. They don't feel guilty. They don't feel bad. They don't stop because their conscience has been seared. But the great awakening comes at the final judgment of God. See, people forget that. When the Antichrist is running the things and, and God will finally have enough of it, Jesus will come and he'll, he'll destroy all the wicked and set up a kingdom. But see, all the people at that time, they're absorbed in their pleasures and their selfishness. They didn't listen to anything. Devil and false prophet deceived them further and they're responsible for it. But when Jesus comes, all of a sudden, the wrath and displeasure of the Son of God comes. When Jesus Christ returns, it is revealed he's coming as a king. He's coming as a judge. He's not coming to show mercy. It's too late to beg and plead and try to get right. Uh-uh. Scripture warns us that you flee from the wrath to come. So all of a sudden, when the master gets up, like it said with the five foolish virgins, when the master gets up and he shuts that door, he said, it's too late now. You've been given opportunity. And the five foolish virgins slept. It's a symbol of sinning and not being right with God. And they were Christians. They were called virgins. And they come knocking at that door and he would open it. They said, open to us. You know what he said to him? He said, I don't know you. And he didn't open it. But they start all these excuses. He said, but I don't know you. But he did know them at one time. But once he shut that door, that was the end of grace. It's always the end of grace and patience. If people want to talk about God's great patience and mercy, they don't talk about it has an end also. Okay. 
when God shut Noah into the ark. The Bible says he shut the door. Didn't say Noah shut the door. Noah, Noah couldn't open that door. God shut them in, and he shut the world out. It didn't matter if they believed when it started raining. I'm sure they believed. And Noah couldn't let them in if he wanted to. Wasn't his concern. Grace had shut the door to him. Time had run out. And at that great awakening, when they're absorbed in their own pleasures and selfishness, their conscience is going to be opened up. That callous is going to be ripped off. See, they're not going to be able to be deceived. Devil's not going to be able to lie to them. God's going to let them see the full truth at the day of judgment. Okay, And that's going to be a horrible thing. They're going to see and experience the wrath of God. And when Christ returns, it says, as the king and the judge, most of the people, they're going to be terrorized and fearful. And what are they going to do? They're going to beg for mercy. They're going to try to repent. doesn't say that. They go flee. They're going to try to run away from God. Where are they going to run? Since they're going to beg for the mountains to fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. See? They know. They know it's too late. The person in hellfire knows it's too late. That's why he weeps and gnashes his teeth. That's why he's in a hopeless state. He knows it's too late. Nobody's listening. Uh-huh. Nobody's listening. Okay. And so that's a, a lesson what God's doing at one period of time. But he's going to do that at the final judgment to all the wicked. Like it said, he's going to turn into hell, the wicked. Okay. And so the masses as a whole, they're hardened. They're living in sin, self, and pleasures. But once the judgment comes, devil can't deceive them anymore. God will make sure they see the light. Because, see, he can't judge them in justice without letting them know why they're being judged. See, he, there's nobody in hell going to wonder why they got there or say, I don't belong here. <laughs> they will know in a moment of time they got just what they deserved and that they're wicked. They're going to know that, see, because God's going to see to it that they know the truth. The angels are going to see justice. The Bible says they learn wisdom watching God deal with the body of Christ. They're looking at all of this, and the two-thirds of the angels that didn't fall, they're learning without having to be experiencing any sin like the one-third did. They didn't give in. They didn't fall. And so God says, I'm going to explain to you some things. You can eat of the tree of knowledge and good of evil. See, and I think Adam and Eve had they obeyed the Lord long enough, he would have let them. But it would have been by permission and not by rebellion, okay? And so all of the angels are learning about God's holiness, his justice. They see in the grace of God that they'd never seen before. You have to remember the angels looked. They'd never seen the wrath of God and anger until Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. <laughs> See, God put up with it to a certain time. He tested them. And finally, when it came, the end of grace, they fell instantly. In a moment of time, they were cast out of heaven. And Jesus said, I saw it. Now, you know, the angels saw it. 
they sit there, never seen the wrath of God, never seen God angry. And so they saw what holiness reacts to sin. When sin didn't come in, they didn't have to see it. But then they saw it. And I'm sure they thought back, oh, well, aren't I glad I didn't fall with the other ones? Aren't I glad I didn't listen to all those stupid words that Lucifer was speaking? See, they saw it. They started to learn. Okay. And the wrath of Christ will come, and he will be the great judge, and he will judge with the Almighty. All judgment is committed to the Son. Uh-huh. Because he was the Son of Man. See? Not only because he's the Son of God, but he lived as a man and overcame. And there ain't going to be no man say, you didn't understand God, you weren't human. He's going to say, I understood perfectly. And therefore, the Father tells me the judge. Okay? And so that's what he's going to do. But their conscience will be unhardened. They will be able to see the truth. Cannot be avoided. So they can run and flee all they want. Where are they going to run to? God's everywhere. There ain't no place to run to. They have to face the judgment. They have to hear the truth. They have to bear their sin. Okay. Then the anger and wrath and eternal punishment will be given out. See, people don't want to talk about that because their Jesus is different than the spoken in the Bible. He's a Santa Claus. He's a he's always say I'll forgive. See, all these songs that sound so pretty were written by sinners that don't know holiness, that don't know the nature of God against evil. See? So they're trying to tell him what he's like. And he's sitting there thinking, you're gonna find out what I'm like. You're gonna find out you are very wrong, and you're gonna be punished worse for lying about me to people. See, the false shepherd's going to really be in trouble. So the Apostle Paul tells us that Christ, the Christian with the Lord in him, he delivers us from the wrath of God. I just quoted that. It's in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, but it says, when the Lord comes for his own, he said, and deliver us from the wrath of God. He's telling the Christian, oh, you've been delivered. You're not appointed to wrath. God's coming to get you and put you into his eternal kingdom. Scripture says he'll show joy and goodness and pleasure toward them forever. They go see the good side of God. It says they'll behold God as angels do. It says they'll see him face to face. That means whatever there is that God is going to reveal to them, they're going to see it. They're going to experience it. And like the Bible says, it says, man is not entered to man's thinking or his heart the things that God has prepared for them that love him. And that's why Paul could say the, the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared to what God's going to reveal in us. And it's interesting. He says what God is going to reveal in us. What is he going to reveal? He's going to reveal himself in a way that no humans understood. Okay, let's take a break here.